Come on, somebody. I'm Caldwell. He's Caleb. We're in the same location. For the first time, we are here together on the podcast. Welcome to episode six. We're happy to have you guys here again for another episode. We got a great episode to start for you guys, including a spontaneous special guest coming on. Touch on that in just a second. It's more to scripture today. We're talking about a biblical worldview of anger uh, and self-control and how that plays itself out in sports, what the Bible has to say about that. And that was live. I am talking about a game, an NFL game that I watched that involved my team against my brother's team. Enough said. Stay tuned for that. That should be fun. And then Double Dipping is our spontaneous special guest, Caleb. And who is it? The spontaneous special guest is actually my dad. He's coming on with a hot take of his own. Um, he'll just be in here for uh, Double Dipping, and then we'll all give our hot takes. Um, then sure. from there, we're moving on to Beyond the Numbers, and I'll talk about football again and a QB slash passing stat. And then we're going to close it out with a high five, and we'll be talking, we'll give our top five NBA players right now going into the bubble in Orlando. So we're looking forward to it, and we're, uh, we're excited for another episode. Finally in the same location, this is going to be a great episode. It's time to talk all things sports. From a Christ Center Bible Saturated perspective, let's roll. Welcome to Sports and Scripture, and today we're going to be talking about something that um, unfortunately actually is very common in sports, and that is anger and kind of self-control, how those things, two things work together. So um, it's very clear if you watch sports consistently that um, outbursts of anger are very common in pro sports, in all levels of sports, even down to, even down to, you know, junior high, high school basketball. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, it's all levels of sports. And that's because humans are sinful yeah. at all ages. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now I want, wanted to just start us off and, and remind, uh, that the Bible says that anger is not necessarily sinful in and of itself. In fact, the Bible says that God is a God of anger um, and that anger is one of his attributes and we should desire to be like God. And so there's a certain type of anger that as believers we should have. Um, and that is being angry about the things that God is angry about. So angry about sin, things that violate his holy character. So I wanted to start off by saying that not all anger is, um, is sinful. And there is, there is good anger. It says, be angry and do not sin. Um, however, when you think about sports and, and the most common type of human anger and outbursts, um, it is very clearly not an anger that is jealous for the things God is jealous for, but rather it's an anger of pride and a jealousy for not your own glory or the player's uh, own whatever is going on. It's, it's a pride issue. Um, and so... I wanted to go to James real quick. Uh, James in chapter one talks about anger. As always, we encourage you guys to have your Bibles out if you if you have it on you. But if you're listening, just listen to the word of God's being read as we value it for each discussion. Yeah, yeah. So uh, verse verse nineteen it says, "But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger." For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So it's, that's, I think that's just a great verse to have in perspective, especially even as Christians, we can be tempted to be angry when we are competing. 
um, in any level of sports. And so that's a great verse, a reminder that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So there's kind of that two sides. There's the anger of God, which we should desire to have, or the anger of man. Um, and so one of the places I just wanted to go real, is in Proverbs. Just bounce around real quick here. Proverbs 16, um, verse 32, I think it's interesting. It says, uh, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he, he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. So I think that's also really interesting as you think about with sports and being angry, like you think of um, just different things that would happen, uh, being, being uh, called out at the plate, and you think you were safe, and then you get angry. You think, I, no, I, it's, it's uh, self, you think I, I deserve to be safe, or, or even, even uh, or you think, you know, I, I was safe, and so I deserve to be treated this certain way because I'm this important. You think he who is slow to anger is actually is better than the mighty um and it's a the ultimate i think it's a great sign of humility being slow to anger so just to um the other the other part of that then is and he who rules his spirit then he who captures a city so it's interesting it makes a parallel of slow to anger and ruling your spirit mm. so being being able to uh control your temper is self-control it's having a rule over your spirit and so that takes me to the last place I wanted to go, which is in Galatians 5. Um, and so Galatians 5, just talking about the, the deeds of the flesh versus the deeds of the spirit. Um, and that is, for the unbeliever, you, you can't have control over your spirit in that way. Um, because you're naturally, your natural man is, a self, is of self-love. It says... Um, it says, now the deeds, in verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. These are all things that are deeds of the flesh and are so common, unfortunately, uh, in sports. So how, how, does, how would one fix an anger problem? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, you can't fix your own anger, anger problem. The Lord has Amen. to. Because it says... The fruit, and it says, uh, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's an, those are characteristics of an unbeliever. But rather, the fruit of the Spirit, of the one who um, abides in Christ, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, uh, now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Just kind of want to leave you with that too. That uh, sinful, sinful habits. Even if you had a, a habit of being angry, it's something that can only be cultivated through the Spirit, not through yourself. But it's only something that the Lord can produce through being um, a child of His and repenting of your sin. That's the only way to uh, to remove yourself to remove that problem. Um, is through the Lord. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have, do you have more thoughts on that? Either? Good thoughts. Yeah. No, I, I love the, the fact that you brought up the ruling your spirit idea. I don't think we talked a lot about the fact that any problem, whether it be an anger issue, whether it be a issue of uh, gluttony, whether it be just any, any issue, simple issue you can think of, you have to do, have rule over that. You can't do that on your own. What's and, really interesting to, yeah, to, to cut you off is that too. <laughs> Um, these athletes in other areas 
have great rule over their bodies. Yep. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, sorry. No, no, you're good. No, it's thunder. No, yeah. No, (laughs) but yeah, it's the spiritual issues that are to the Lord. Yeah. No, I I think that that's, that is so crucial when we're talking about just life in general, especially when we apply to sports. And I love that you just touched on that. The anger, as Caleb said, is very commonplace in sports today. And unfortunately, that's the case. It's, It's very common. You're only as good of a player as how angry you get about losing, how angry you get before a competitive event, if you have that fire, so to speak, that people talk about. And that fire comes out in different ways, and it's just a part of the game if it comes out in different ways, according to many athletes and many coaches and many, you know, even Hall of Famers. That I was only the player – I mean, just even think about the last dance. Michael Jordan, who is one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player of all time, even were spoken of by teammates as saying he was a very intimidating guy and he was tough to be around sometimes. Do we, what, what kind of reputation do we want to, and I'll touch on that in a second, but what kind of reputation do we want to have in that case? But the, the point that Caleb brought up that I want to make is that it's shunned and disciplined when these anger problems come out off the field, but for some reason it's okay when it's, when it's on the field of play. You know, we think about the domestic violence cases. We think about the issues of, uh, I mean, robbery or just different things that players get involved in. That goes on off the field. It's like, how dare you do that? And yet when a manager gets ejected, when a star player gets in a scuffle with his head coach, when people are requesting trades and bad-mouthing their former team, we've seen a lot of that recently, all of a sudden it's okay and it's just a part of the game. That does not line up. It does not line up with the Word of God. And that's where I want to turn now. If we go to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, I think there's uh, some helpful things. Kill uh, brought up some great verses as well that I was thinking of and that were brought to mind. But Ephesians 4, verse 26, and then also verse 32, I think are very helpful. Ephesians 4, 26 says, be angry and do not sin. And Caleb mentioned that there are things that we should be angry about. And those are things that God is angry about, namely sin and wickedness. That is the exception. We think about the term righteous anger. Uh, when Jesus overturned the tables, it wasn't just because Jesus was you know, wanting to assert his dominance is because they were in his house, his temple. He was angry because they were idolizing money and people and taking advantage of people more than the holy God in his temple. Those are the things we need to be angry about. So it says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That is such a key point that is not talked about in sports. If you have a problem with somebody, one, you should do it in private. So many, so many things about these things are public. Way too many are public things. Do it in private, which again, there is, is you can only do to a point with, with our social media age, but it can still be done. And, and people don't think about that enough as they should. But be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Meaning don't, don't allow these things to, to fester for so long that it boils over into you doing something where you'll regret it. Do, deal with the issues in a way that is healthy, that is, that is uh, profitable for each other. And as Caleb said, the only way you can do that well is if you're a believer. We talked about reconciliation last week and how there can be reconciliation, quote unquote, with sports and athletes and things like that. But it's only to a point if you're an unbeliever. Because those issues are only going to expose themselves again if you think that you can do this on your own. And you think that you can bring about these these issues and you can you can defeat these things and you can just be a better person and a better the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick i mean we, we talk about the, the issues of the heart and the things we should be angry about the thing we should be angry about one is the the simplest of our own hearts <laughs> we should fight against sin that's one thing we should be incredibly angry about and so lastly one thing i want to i want to touch on 
is in Colossians 3, which I think then touches on the character of God as well. But in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 8, it, it brings to mind this idea of who we once were if we're believers mm-hmm. and who we are now. Colossians 3, verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And let me just pause there for a second. The wrath of God is coming on every angry, unrepentant heart. That just needs to be said. It's not a popular thing to say, but if you are unrepentant, your unrepentant heart is hostile, the Bible says, towards God. And every angry, unrepentant heart in that way the wrath of God and its full effect will come upon them on judgment day. And so that's where the gospel comes in that we continue want to preach of repent and believe the, the things that we're saying, the gospel that the word of God proclaims. The wrath of God is coming upon those who do not submit to those things, who do not submit their lives to God. Verse 7 says, In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And what's the first thing on that list? Anger. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, we can get into uh, all these semantics about why anger was listed first or what Paul was, what Paul was thinking of when he put anger first. But I think there, there's a point why Paul's putting that, and, and it's because of what the wrath of God needs. That Caleb said, God is angry at sin. God is going to be angry at those, and his wrath is going to be exposed towards those who are unrepentant. So are sinful Avenues of anger are sinful reactions of anger need to be put away. That means to be submitted and repented of because the character of God, actually, even though God is a wrathful God, we talk a lot about that character of God is also that he's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness, abounding in faithfulness. If you're an unbeliever watching this or listening to this, we don't want you to think that God is just this very thumb on you type of God. This guy is also a faithful God who hears the prayers of those who know him. And once you is, is holding out an, an outstretched hand and, and telling you to come to him for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that comes through the character of Christ who exhibited all these things, mm-hmm. exhibited a, pa- a passion of righteous anger and overturning the tables, and yet also washed his disciples' feet. Did both of them. So there's a lot to be said in that, much more to be said. And that's why we always like to start the podcast with these types of discussions. Um, so, brother, thank you for your words as always. Um, good discussion. Please like leave in the comments things you guys want us to talk about in sports and scripture as well. We want to talk about the things of the Lord. We want to hear what's on your guys' hearts and how we can encourage you guys. Hope that was encouraging. Uh, now we're going to transition into the rest of our, uh, our podcast into my segment. That was live. Welcome back to that was live as I retell the joys and sorrows of being a sports fan and the different things I've experienced through following my teams and just watching sports, which, by the way, are back in 10 days, opening day of baseball and then basketball. Cannot wait to have more live reactions of things. I'm going to tell the story today of the Broncos and Chiefs overtime game from 2016. If you guys are wondering what that game was, that was the game-winning field goal off the crossbar to win the game in overtime with, like, five seconds left. Crazy, crazy game. It was a lot of fun. Here's the story of what I saw live and everything that transpired up until that point. I'm in my house in California. So a lot of these things are when I lived in California, uh, junior high, high school, things like that. And the Broncos and Chiefs are getting ready to play in Sunday night football. Here is one of the big kickers of this story. I am a diehard Chiefs fan. 
my brother, Zach, who I will give a shout out to. Hopefully we'll have you on the podcast soon, buddy. He is a huge Broncos fan. So if you can imagine, the tensions are already starting to build. The rest of our family, we don't really have a team we cheer for. And so they just kind of sit back and watch me and Zach go at it uh, when our teams play each other. So the Broncos and Chiefs are ready to play Sunday Night Football. And then, once the game starts, we have another guest come in who is the small group leader of my uh, small group at church. And so he's here watching the game with us. And he's having to pick sides and try to not be mean towards Zach because he's cheering for the Chiefs. And it's just, it's all, all this stuff is transpiring. And Tyreek Hill had his coming out party in this game. Kill, I don't know if you remember this. Tyreek Hill had a kick return for a touchdown after a safety. Tyreek Hill had a rushing touchdown in the second half. And he caught the game-tying pass to tie the game to send into overtime. Here was what happened before then. The Chiefs were down eight points with two minutes left. Alex Smith, game manager, game check down man himself, who I will not speak anymore of. I, I, he's dead to me. Alex Smith was our quarterback. And God love him because he got us the win. But, again, he's dead to me. The Chiefs were down eight points with two minutes left because we zero blitzed the Broncos on a third down play and threw the ball over the top, and our quarterback looked like he was blind. And he was like, where's the ball? It was behind him, guy ran for a touchdown. So it's 24 to 16, and we have to go down the field. And my heart is pounding for this simple reason, ladies and gentlemen. My brother is standing five feet away from me, and I cannot allow my team to lose to my brother's team. I can't let it happen. There's no way I can allow Zach to hold this over me with my small group leader there. There's no way I can allow this to happen. Not with my family there. The, the Chiefs cannot do me wrong this time. And Alex Smith somehow, someway, drives the Chiefs down the field to set up a fourth and ten, where he throws it to guess who, none other than Tyreek Hill, who, by the way, was not a great receiver at that point, but had a coming-out party this day. Caught the ball for a first and goal down to the five-yard line. So there's ten seconds left. And Patrick Mahomes – or Patrick Mahomes. See, I've already moved on. I've moved on, everyone. Alex Smith throws it to Tyreek Hill at the goal line, and he kind of catches it, and his knee hits the ground. So the play continues to go, and there's five seconds left, and it dwindles down all the way down to one second before they do the booth review. So Zach is losing his mind thinking that the Broncos have won the game. They finally beat the Chiefs. Everything is over. Booth review reveals Tyree Kill actually did not have control of the ball until he was in the end zone. Praise the Lord that he didn't because he was in for a touchdown. Ties the game. So now we're into overtime. So my small group leader's there. Zach's there. My dad's chilling on the couch just watching all this unfold. And the – the Broncos kick a field goal to take the lead, so the Chiefs have a chance to go down the field, and we do three and out. I'm like, Alex Smith, you're going to do me wrong again. Broncos go down the field. They punt. We punt all the way down to two minutes left. And thank goodness Gary Kubiak and the Broncos threw this game in the trash can because a 62-yard field goal was shanked like a duck got shot out of the sky and gave the Chiefs the ball on the, the Broncos' side of the field, went down the field for a 34-yard field goal. 34-yard field goal kill inside of 40 yards. Easy kick for, for an NFL kicker. And Cairo Santos, like something out of like, like something that I was gonna have a nightmare of, kicks the ball and is going directly towards this, this upright. The game is tied. Now keep in mind, if Cairo Santos misses this kick, the game ends in a tie, which is one of the stupidest rules in the history of the NFL. That if a game, if the game is still tied through overtime, it ends in a tie. I, I do not understand that. I will have to talk, talk about that some other time. But this ball is going towards this upright. 
And I'm like, he's about to hit the upright and tie the game in a game that has literally almost given me a heart attack. And by some miracle, hits the inside of the upright and goes through the upright for a game-winning game field goal. And I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe I fell to my knees and was just exuberant in my joy that my team would not lose to Zach's team. Zach, I know you got other thoughts on that because Iowa football always does Iowa State wrong every single year. But I got you that time, buddy. I got you that time. And I'm going to tell another story soon about another time my team got you. We're going to have him on the podcast soon. Had to give a shout out to him. But that was live when I saw that. And I love those reactions. I love having more reactions soon. Baseball's coming back in 10 days. Padres, Cardinals, all the other teams in the MLB. The bubble in the NBA, which is just a crazy thing to think about. They're all in the same place right now. Living, like basically living together like college roommates. Sports is crazy right now. The world is crazy right now. But that, that story was worth it. From 2016, Cairo Santos, little dude. Little dude from, from, from the, um, I guess he's from Mexico or something. Game winning field goal off the upright. There you go. That was live. Now we are going to go into something that was just supposed to be double dipping. It's going to turn to triple dipping in a matter of moments. Because coming up next, Mr. Waymeyer, Caleb's dad, is joining us for double dipping. Stay tuned. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Double Dippin'. Back in the day, Caleb and I hit back-to-back -back doubles as teammates, and now we're going to give back-to-back -back hot takes. But once again, we're not only giving back-to-back, -back, we're giving back-to-back-to-back -to -back hot takes. So we got someone special coming on, Caleb. We have a surprise appearance, uh, late, uh, last second Late edition. And I'm really excited for this because it is none other than my own dad, Mr. Waymeyer. Uh-oh. Uh, Dad, where is how he? are you doing? Where is he? There he is. Hey, guys. Hey, this this is a, a thrill and honor. I just want to say, uh, long-time listener. Uh, I've been with you guys since the very first episode, uh, way back to last month, I suppose it was. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's a thrill to be a guest on the show. It's, it's surreal. Um, <laughs> we appreciate you coming on. One thing we like to do before we get into the – the most important stuff of the, of the sports talk is kind of hear from our special guests, who they are, kind of what they do. So kind of give us a little bit about yourself for people that may not know kind of what, what you do for a living and, and things like that. Yes. Well, I uh, serve as an associate pastor at Grace Emanuel Bible Church here in Jupiter, Florida, and teach uh, Greek and theology. We have a seminary called the Expositor Seminary, where we train men for ministry. Uh, my wife, Julie, and I have been married for 25 years. We have five children. Caleb is the second born. I've, I've uh, uh, been his father for his entire life, so we've known each other a long time. And uh, as you can tell from the, uh, from the shirts, we are pretty serious Green Bay Packers. I can't tell by your shirt. He's I thought it was just a Nike shirt. He's got a throwback. <laughs> You need to enlarge yeah. the font on that shirt a little bit. <laughs> I'm sure all ten of our listeners are pumped to yeah, have you there you go. as well. When you're as when you're as a, when you're as, as talented as the Packers, you don't need to scream Packers. Oh, you just let your, your play on the field do the Super Bowl champs. All right. Yeah, uh, I noticed all their, all, hey, their first hey, by the way, congrats on your first Super Bowl. That's that's phenomenal. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're starting a new yeah. dynasty. So Well, first Super Bowl victory, I should say. You were in the they Super Bowl one other time, weren't you? Next couple of years. Yeah, now their now their championship room has one one thing right in the middle. Oh, beforehand they just had the door okay. locked you know there's that's all right yeah yeah there's more access to it because everyone will be talking about it for the next 10 years that's okay um 
we're gonna we're gonna jump right in. We're gonna allow the special guest to have first dibs, so to speak. We're thinking about making T-shirts of of kind of chips dipping in. We want we want people to to kind of get a feel of what we do here on this show. So, Mr. Waymire, if if you will, you've been hyping this up really all week. Uh, I've been here for two days, and all I hear about <laughs> is this hot take that you want to share with the world. Uh, take the first dip here. Absolutely. Well, seriously, it, it's uh, great to be with you. This hot take is going to take us back five years in time to February 1st, 2015. And you may not remember this, but the two of you gentlemen were sitting on the couch to my right as the three of us in a room full of others watched Super Bowl 49. Now, as you recall, at the very end of this Super Bowl, Seahawks versus the Patriots, Russell Wilson threw an interception at the very end of the game to lose the game. Mm -hmm. Now, after the game, in fact, moments after the play, remember Chris Collinsworth was outraged. The consensus around the internet, all commentators, in fact, um, Deion Sanders on the NFL Network afterwards said it was the worst call in Super Bowl history. And commentator after commentator, player after player said it was the dump. You had Marshawn Lynch, beast mode in the backfield. He, he'd, he'd rush for over 100 yards, hand the ball to Marshawn, plunges in, scores the touchdown. The Seahawks win. Stupid call, coach. So my hot take is this, is the Seahawks were absolutely right to throw the ball in that play. Now, I, I told Caleb ahead of time, my goal was to, to, to cause AJ to fall out of his chair. I'll, I'll take the forehead on the, on the table as a, as, a, as a close second. Uh, they were absolutely right. So uh, you're stunned. I, should, shall I go on? Shall I, let me just predict right now, in a few moments, you'll, you'll start to scratch your chin a little bit and, and, and see the reason. Are, are you ready? Oh, man. I go, for, for those of you guys listening, by the way, we, that's the first time Caleb and I have actually just been so stunned silent. We don't, we don't even have a reaction. That was all just body language that Caleb and I responded to. But continue. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't I'm know intrigued. if I can. We'll see. All right. So let, let me tell you, I'm going to give you two reasons why it was absolutely the right. Now, just to be clear, when I say they were absolutely right to throw the ball, I'm not saying that specific play call. I'm not saying they should have thrown a slant. And I'll get to that in a moment. But they were absolutely right to throw the ball. And again, the consensus was they, they had to run the ball. Um, so I'm going to give you two reasons why. But first is my guiding philosophy is this. It's easy to look back and say because it was intercepted by uh, Malcolm Butler that it was a bad play call. But you have to go with what you know at the time. You it's, it's all about probabilities. There are no guarantees in sports. It's all about giving yourself the best chance to win. So first reason is the clock. Now, you probably don't remember the context, but I'll set it up for you. Um, the, the Seahawks were down by four, okay? They were down 28-24, so they're down by four. It's second and goal from the one-yard line, and they snap the ball with 25 seconds left, and they have one timeout, Okay. So, so if you, you put all that together, you have, th you have three plays to score a touchdown, okay? It's second down, and you, you're losing by four. You have three plays to score a touchdown, 
Okay, so you have to think in terms of what gives you the best chance over the course of those three plays to score a touchdown. Now, think about the two possibilities. If you run on second down, which is what everyone said they should have done, if you run on second down and you get stopped, two things are, are undoubtedly true. Okay, so, so AJ's removed himself from the chair because he thinks it's outlandish that, that Marshawn Lynch would get stopped. They were a yard out! They okay. were a yard! Listen. One yard! So let me ask you this. Let's, let's uh, put a little chink in the armor of your certainty here, uh, AJ. Five times that season, Marshawn Lynch had run the ball from the one-yard line. How many times did he score? Sounds like you would say five. At least four. Four? No. Lower. Keep going. Three? No. Lower. Keep going. One? One! Yeah, so it, it, it's – anyway, let me finish my argument. It's, the point is this, is that it's not a, a, an absolute guarantee. Okay, so if, if you run on second down and you're stopped, two things are, are true, and I think you would agree. First of all, you have to call a timeout right away because if you run the ball, snap the ball 25 seconds, you get stopped on second down, you got about 20 seconds, you have to call timeout, and secondly, you have to pass on the next play because now you're third and goal from the one with 20 seconds and no timeouts, okay? Right. You have to pass on third down, and they absolutely know it, okay? They're, 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 they know you have to pass. But think about this. If you pass, now the only, the only killer outcome is if you throw an interception, and that's what happened. But I'm just saying you can't. You can see that in retrospect. If you pass incomplete on second down, the clock stops on its own with 20 seconds left. Now it's third down, and you're free to either run or pass. You can run, because if you don't make it, you can call timeout. If you pass and you don't make it, it's incomplete, and you still, you, know, you still have your timeout. Then if you're stopped on third down, whether you run or pass um, on, on, on second, you're still free to run or pass on fourth down. So the point is this. By passing on second down, all three plays, again, the goal is to score a touchdown in one of three plays, all three plays, that you keep the defense guessing. If you, so, so that's the first, and, and I can unpack that for you if you want, but that's the first reason is the clock in the game situation. The second reason, and the two of these go, go hand in hand, is the matchup on that play. If you go back and you just forget about, wow, he picked the ball off, should have run the ball. The matchup was this, the Seahawks had a pass unit on the field. They had three receivers on the field. They weren't coming off a timeout, so they didn't have opportunity to sub guys out. They had a pass unit on the field. The Patriots not only had a goal line unit on the field, but they also, the defense that they set up, they had eight defenders in the box versus six blockers. So if you look at a, a snapshot, you can find one online, I'm sure. You look at a snapshot from, from the end zone, you can see six blockers in eight Defenders. So the Patriots were supremely positioned to stop the run on that play. Um, so to summarize, they should have thrown the ball. First reason, it gives you flexibility to run on third and fourth if you want. And secondly, the matchup strongly favors throwing the ball. The point being this, if you're saying it's an absolute given that Marshawn Lynch runs the ball in, well, you still have third and fourth down to do it. You have three plays 
and you, you put yourself in a better position. Again, it's all about probabilities to be successful on those three plays. The only thing that could have gone wrong is the thing that did go wrong, which is why I would say this, and I would leave this to maybe you guys, is would there be a better pass play to have called? Um, is, was that a high-risk play? I don't, I don't think I know football well enough to know for sure. I, I can't recall a little slant like that at the goal line getting picked off very often, but may, maybe guys who know football well would say, well, yes, you should have passed, but maybe not that particular play that's too risky, kind of throwing it into the midst of so much, so, so much of the defense. Um, that's up for debate. What's not up for the debate is that they should have passed because that was absolutely the right call. You want to go ahead? Please tell me you don't agree with me. AJ needs time to think of reasons why that doesn't make sense. His emotions. No, I, I don't think it's the chances. I've already outburst. Well, <laughs> uh, my, my biggest argument against it, and it is a convincing argument, and I know we've, I think we've talked about it a little bit in the past, and I see the, I see the argument. My, my side, and one thing I'd be interested to know you know, is, is, did the Patriots uh, ch change any personnel for that last play? Because if I recall right, you know, the reason I lean towards run is the fact that he had just been running the ball the entire drive. And like the, the two plays before is, I mean, it's like six yard run, five yard run, six yard run, and just wearing down the defense just to keep, keep the momentum pushing it in. Now, and you just eliminate, like, in, in my mind, I would be very, I'd want to see if, you know, how the personnel was different from the previous plays. Because I think even the play directly before was like a seven-yard run. And, it, and I had, watching it was the impression of there's literally nothing they can do to stop him right now. So that's the, that's the only argument I've had is just throwing, like, you have the defense kind of on their heels. I see what you're saying, and I don't necessarily disagree, though. I just that's, – that's the argument I'd have against it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's probably – the, I mean, that's a, uh, probably the strongest argument against it. The, the previous play, he had run – they were first in goal from the five, and he had run four yards to the, to the one. And so just, you know, the momentum – um, so yeah, I think that's probably the strongest argument. I, I do think, I mean, I don't like either the Patriots or the Seahawks. Caleb, if you remember, I referred to it as the beast versus the false prophet. Who, who, you cross, you know, who, who do you root for? Um, but, uh, so, but, but you have to admit Bill Belichick not calling timeout because they, they actually ran the first and goal from the five with about 51 seconds left and they, they, they get to the one. And you're thinking Belichick's going to call a timeout, but he just kind of lets the play, lets the clock run. So no personnel switched out. Um, and, you know, so I think that's a fair argument. You, you could make the argument. Sometimes you can set aside the numbers and the statistics and the probabilities and just say, hey, all, all the metrics aside in the ebb and flow of the game and the, the momentum of the game, you just, you just pound the rock. You, you just got them on their heels. Um, I, I do think – statistically probability wise if you look at their defense they were they were ready they were ready for the run um and and i don't know that if you pass the ball incomplete and i would have told russell wilson hey look drop back and if you have the guy wide open put it in his hands if not throw it into the fifth row 
um, and don't take a chance. And then you can pound the rock twice. You have third down and fourth down. If Marshawn Lynch will definitely get in the end zone from a second and goal, that was what I was gonna ask. then third and fourth and goal, it seems like between the two of those plays, he can make it. So you, so you believe that at some point they should have run the ball? Yes, yeah, assuming, yeah, uh, assuming that, assuming they didn't make, you know, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're um, saying that, if all else failed, you, re- you, you agree that Marshawn Lynch gets the ball. Yeah, in fact, I think what Pete Carroll said afterward, and this doesn't quite work, but he said this, if you, you, you leave open the flexibility, you can't run the ball three times. You can only run it twice well, at with most. The time, yeah, with the clock, right, yeah. So, so you, yeah, I, I would have I likely, I would have passed the ball and then I probably would have run. Again, I don't know football well enough to do you call an audible, you see something at the line, but I just know that the way that the, yeah, yeah I'm, I wouldn't dispute that. You're just, I'm just looking at it like this. We've got three plays to get in. Now again, turnovers, the one thing that's gonna kill you. Turnover or if Russell Wilson drops back and scrambles for 25 seconds and, and yeah. runs off the well, clock. Well, I think they, they were trying to catch the papers off guard, which is smart. But at the same time, in trying to catch them off guard, it's also the Super Bowl. Like, it's not just like it's a regular season game where it's like you're trying to trick them. It's like this is one play to win the, the title, and you're not giving it to the guy who basically got you there, you know? Like, Marshawn Lynch had already had a reputation at that point where it's like, even if ever it's, – it's, it's to the equivalent where I think of, like, Michael Jordan in a last-second situation, where it's like you know where the ball's going, it's going there anyways, he's probably going to hit the shot. Or Larry Bird, when he's when – he's, when he's, got position on somebody I, I would think in that situation and I, I agree with you that at some point they should have run the ball anyways and that passing the ball was like kind of a a, a counter attack to that to kind of catch everybody off guard but I would I would argue that even if it was the instance where you even talk about the personnel where they knew they, they were preparing for them to run you give the ball to Marshawn Lynch anyways because he he's gotten you there and you said the one for five thing which I didn't I didn't realize but at the same time, like, it's one play. Like, at that point, I think you throw out all statistics and you just say, Marshall Lynch, get in the end zone. But, but, again, if he doesn't, though, now you have to pass, and they know You pull the timeout, and then you, and then you pass, which, like, at, the same, at, the, at that point, like, they know you're passing, you know you're passing. Russell Wilson's a playmaker. Like, I trust him to make a play from one yard out. Like, he can scramble and get into the end zone. You know, like, it's like – when you're pushed back yeah. that far, it's different than it being like on the ten yard line. Yeah, well, I, I agree. But what you've just said actually supports that a pass play should have worked just fine on second down. Again, it's the specific pass play. Yeah. Like I, I would say this. Let me ask you guys this, and I don't know what I would have said in response. But let's pretend Russell Wilson on second and goal drops back, throws the ball to a receiver, touchdown, Patriot or, or Seahawks win. Would you be saying, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they threw the ball. What were they thinking? I would, yeah. I would have been shocked if they threw the ball and it wasn't. Well, I think, to to your point, I think imagine they ran the ball and whatever the chances of this were, again, one for five during the season, but obviously having more success against the Patriots in the game. uh, If they do run it and, and get stopped, you know, and then they have to pass. How many people would afterwards be saying, like, you know, looking back at this, they should have thrown it. And then, you know, like, it's it's so much, like you said, it is easier once the one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't in the moment. In fact, in the moment, if you guys remember, you guys jumped off the couch. 
and you were jumping around and I literally, for, and, and you were yelling so loud, I couldn't either see because you were in the way or hear what was going on. So it was literally about 20 seconds after the play that I found out what had happened. But, it, but in the moment, I wasn't thinking it was foolish. I just thought about it afterward and I was, because they were so lambasted. And I just remember thinking, well, let me just kind of play this out. And, and I actually, I was teaching at the Master's Seminary at the time. In my Tuesday morning Greek class, I laid all this out on the whiteboard with the, with the class. Um, and so what, what I didn't know at the time, what, and I was, just playing, I was just playing with the timeouts and the, and, the, and the clock. What I didn't realize at the time is that the, the, the way the defense was set up was so, was so favorable to the pass. Maybe, AJ, tell me this, maybe the problem was this. So if you think they have eight in the box, in fact, let me see if this will this will this will work. See if you can. I, I printed this up to show you guys. Is that? Can you got see a that? visual. Yeah, a little higher. We we got a visual on 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 the camera for for listeners. Uh -huh. So okay. I just wonder if you have eight in the box and they're all ready for the run. You have three wide receivers. So you basically have each of the wide receivers are just man to man. I mean, there's no there's no double coverage. And there's no roaming. I mean, I guess there's a safety in the middle, but he's playing the run. So maybe the pass, but just don't slant in toward all the all the uh, mm -hmm. all the defense. Um, maybe move out. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's uh, hopefully it's at least more compelling than than uh, than when your forehead well, was glad. resting upon the table. Yeah, I, I'm just glad that you 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 admitted that you would you would run the ball with Marshall Lynch still at some point. Because what I thought when you originally said that was they made the right decision to throw the ball, period. And I'm thinking, you're out of your mind. Because like, no, on, like, on that play. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I would stand by that on that play. I, I wouldn't, as a coach, I wouldn't be able to break all this down quickly in, in, in the moment in my mind. But if I could pause it and stop and think about it, that's what I would do. Yeah. I, I would. Because, you know, you said, well, if they run the ball, they have to pass on third down. You said, well, Russell Wilson's a playmaker. He can – well, the same thing would apply to second down. In other words, they're not—they're not really—they're not, really, not really lessening their chances what? by by passing on second down, unless the momentum. And I don't think it was—you know—they didn't hurry up the next play where they—you know—there was thirty seconds went off the clock. Everyone was set. They weren't catching them off guard. Uh, but well, maybe the, the yeah. I think the question is then who do you, who did you trust more on the Seahawks at that point? Russell Wilson or Marshawn Lynch from that from that spot in the field. Like, what's first? Well, practice? yeah, I don't know, but if you don't have to pick between them, I'm saying they're it, it, with what I'm saying is if you just look at it in three plays, what gives you the greatest probability each play? Think about it statistically. Mm -hmm. Play number one: they're expecting the run, they're playing the run, they're matched up for the run. What's the greater probability? The pass. The next third down, if you don't make it with the pass, um, what gives you the greater probability? If, if they know you have to pass or if they don't know whether you're going to pass or run. Now, fourth down really is a wild card because you can pass or run either, either scenario on fourth down because it doesn't matter if the game's going to be over after that play. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't, to answer your question, I don't trust any of the Seahawks. <laughs> That's that's coming as a Packers fan more than anything, let's be honest. <laughs>
It's it's sad to say I was rooting for the Patriots that Super Bowl, but oh my god, we're rooting against the Seahawks. I didn't know who to cheer for. I was in your guys' house. We were Packer fans, so I felt kind of weird like cheering for anybody. But I mean, I hate the Patriots, but I couldn't cheer for the Seahawks. So I was just like football. I thought it was the perfect ending because you got to see Russell Wilson throw away a Super Bowl. And you got to see the Patriots sort of win a Super Bowl, but with this massive asterisk of, well, only because the, the, the Seahawks blew it. So it was, it was as close, since they don't allow ties in the Super Bowl, it was as close as a success from, from a Packer fan's perspective. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Okay, so here is mine. I'll take a second dip here. This is my hot take. It's also football-related, and it has to do with this year. And a certain team that pretty much was a laughing stock the past couple of years. That's the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals are going to make some noise this year. Okay? Now keep in mind, I'm not, I'm not crazy, crazy. AFC North has the Baltimore Ravens in it. So the Baltimore Ravens are going to, to win the division. However, Caleb's already pulling up staff on the, on the Bengals. However, Cincinnati Bengals are going to not only push the Browns and the Steelers, they're going to get second in the division. Okay? The, the Cincinnati Bengals are going to get second in the AFC North, and here's why. One, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, Heisman Trophy winner from LSU, is going to play out of his mind this year. Is he going to be a top 10 quarterback man of the year? Probably not. But he's going to be very good this year. Very good. Probably rookie of the year. Joe Mixon is their running back. He is one of the most underrated running backs in the league, I think. He's a great fantasy player to play fantasy football. I mean, gets you a lot of points. More than anything, he's a consistent runner. Consistent running back. Very, very solid running back. A.J. Green plays for the Bengals. He didn't play at all last year, pretty much, because of his injuries. And he also had Andy Dalton as his quarterback. So even when he did play, he didn't play, because Andy Dalton was terrible. <laughs> A.J. Green is also on the Bengals. Those three guys, that, 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 that trio. Then you add in John Ross, who ran a 4-1 40. One of the fastest players in the league. Not faster than Tyree Kill. Not, I'm going to watch him out there. Who ran a 4-1 4-1. John Ross ran a, ran a 4-1 40. Or 4-2. It was, it was 4-1 or 4-2. One of the fastest 40 times in NFL history. John Ross. Tyler Boyd, who is also a very good role receiver in, in, the, in the NFL on the Bengals. Uh, kind of to the equivalent of uh, – would be a good equivalent for him. Maybe like a Cole Beasley on the Cowboys, kind of his role he played. He wasn't the best receiver, but was consistent. Kind of like a Cole Beasley on the Cowboys or a Wes Welker on the Patriots. Kind of fitting in, in his role there. And then you throw in their defensive line. Now, the Bengals defense is not great yet. They still are a couple years off. But Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap are both on their defensive line. Very good players, very well-known names as pass rushers in the league. Carlos Dunlap especially. I think he was on – the either the Vikings or the Lions before he before he got traded. So he's he's moving up in in his career and in, in, in his career of sacking the quarterback pretty much. Um, and so I think they're gonna win second place in the division. I also think they're gonna make the wild card in the AFC playoffs. Okay. And so the Bengals are gonna make a lot more noise than people think. And I truly believe it more than anything is because of Joe Burrow and the way he's okay. gonna play against the division specifically. Okay. Not so, being the Ravens, but I think they will split the Browns and they will split the Steelers. And they will do very well outside the division. They'll get swept by the, the Ravens. So you named all these great players or good players. Good players. That the Bengals have. Yet, but. 
these good players went two and fourteen last year with Andy Dalton as their quarterback. So you said Joe Burrow will not be a top ten quarterback. Probably not. I said I surely it's not because he hasn't played a single snap in the NFL. So let's say let's say Andy Dalton is a bottom five quarterback. Yeah. No, which do you think he's bottom five? Yes, Andy Dalton. He's, he's, so if they if they he's if out they, of top twenty. If they get go from a bad quarterback to Joe a, a above average quarterback, but not probably not top ten, they top suddenly 10. go from two and fourteen to the wild card. With the thing about their weapons that they have, but like, no one knows about two and fourteen. No, but no one knows about those guys because Andy Dalton was their quarterback and Marvin Lewis was their coach, dude. Last year was the first time they had, a, they had a rookie head coach for the first time in 16 years. Yeah, you're right. 16! Before that, Marvin Lewis had coached the Bengals to zero playoff victories. Zero. With Andy Dalton as his quarterback, by the way. Think about the great – the, the Reeds and Mahomes, the, the Rodgers and the Fleurs now, the Brady and Belichick kind of thing. Dalton and Marvin Lewis are one of the most laughing stock tandems in the history of the NFL. Zero playoff wins, Caleb, in 16 years. He made the playoffs eight times. Yeah, so they've been terrible. And now one player who's not even going to be top 10 in his position. He's going to be top 12? Them. He'll not be right outside 10. the top 10. Is not, it's Think about the top 10 quarterback in the league. So they're, they're going to win, like, he's going to, Joe Burrow, a not top 10 quarterback. They'll win nine games. Nine or 10 games. Is going to push them, like, an additional seven or eight wins. I don't, do you have any comments on this, Dad? Well, I was going to ask you, AJ, how many – you just answered it. How many wins do you think it's going to take to get a wild card? Because I'm thinking the same thing. Uh, I don't know too much about the Bengals. Um, I mean, they're not – Perhaps like for obvious <laughs> reasons. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, that's my same question. First of all, I was going to ask you, how well do you think Joe Burrow will play? It's very rare even for a first – Oh, go ahead. It's very rare for a top pick quarterback in his rookie season to do well. So if you're telling me he's not going to be the top ten, I can accept that. Um, uh, in fact, I might insist upon it. So yeah, I'm wondering the same thing: is is how someone who's the in the middle of the pack, who's the twelfth, fifteenth best quarterback in the league, yeah. um, adds an additional seven or eight wins to a team? Yeah. Um, now you mentioned AC Green. How many games did he play last Green. year? Oh, what did I say? AJ, you said AC Green. Oh, pretty sure how many games? Music artist. <laughs> how, 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 how many games did he play last year? Uh, I need to fact check that. He, he had a foot injury for a couple months, so he didn't. He played maybe six games. Because the question I'm asking myself, if I were a Bengals fan, is what's different this year from last? And so Green and Burrow. But green, not the whole year, just part of it. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I, I would say uh, th let's just, just put games. it this way. If they were – what's the answer? He played nine games. Played nine games. So, so he – So, at best, went two and seven. But keep in mind, yeah. <laughs> he had injury, came back, played a couple of games, and then re-aggravated it. Yeah. So, he doesn't even – so, it's really six games of – would you would you say you're confident of the like the, the whole concept of a hot take? Sometimes it's fun to have an opinion that's kind of yeah. controversial. Would you say you're confident of that? Confident of what? Of the, the Bengals making the playoffs? Of the Bengals making the playoffs? I think that a lot of people discredit how good AJ Green and Joe Mixon and the other receivers are simply because of Andy Dalton. So I'm confident of the fact that they will push the the Browns and the Steelers to the brink. 
it's too early to tell to say like, yes, the Bengals will be a wild card team. I'm just spicing it up and saying that I think that with, with the talent that Joe Burrow plays like he's supposed to play, like doesn't get injured or anything like that and, and steps into his role in a, in a way, not like a Patrick Mahomes, which will never happen again, but in a lesser way of, of stepping in and, and taking the lead by storm, I think they can win eight, nine, even 10 games. Yeah, I would, I would say, I mean, just to be transparent, I would say your argument reminds me of an optimistic Bengals fan who's trying to find a path toward what he would really like to see happen. Um, I'm not saying it, it won't happen. No, no, I'm, that's what I mean is, is, is the, the actual, the substance of the argument, it sounds like there's some, some bias and some optimism built in. But you, you may be right. I think, you know, I think if Burrow was the 18th best quarterback, Next year, the Bengals would would high five each other and and the, and the uh, what? Where do you think? How do you think he'll do? Let me just ask that. I don't know. I I, I don't. Number one, I, I'm not a college football fan. Um, of course, you're not. Pro sports. The, People, the, please the help sports. the Waymire family. They the, need the, to pay on college. College. My my longstanding mantra is oh, is I don't like is. I guess we need college football because you need to get the players from somewhere. But but other than that, I have no use for it. That is a um, blasphemous statement I've ever heard. The players so, to come from somewhere. That is true. So, 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 so out there in college football. So to answer your question, I don't know, but I, I did have a. Um, this is interesting. I'll, I'll I'll find it and send it to you. A buddy of mine from Montana, Mike Thompson, he did this this study over the last. Caleb, do you remember? Was it like thirty years? Um, where he he took all of the first round quarterback draft picks and then separated them into categories of like that Hall of Famer really panned out so-so absolute bust and it was amazing uh for every Peyton Manning that you had you had three Ryan Leafs you know I mean it was amazing the number of busts that you have I mean Patrick Mahomes obviously would be a huge exception to that um so I don't know but I'm I've just over the years become skeptical about how easy it is to spot exceptional NFL talent when looking at an, a college player and then drafting based on what you're seeing. From well, I think you guys have to watch college football in order for that to be true too. So I'll just throw that. Yeah. So, I, so I, I'm, if, if that's the price I have to pay, I'm glad to sit that out. Wow. <laughs> and from what I've seen of Burrow, you know, I, again, what I've seen of again I'm, I'm young. And so I don't know, but he really does look like the type of guy that would succeed in the NFL. But, you know, I don't, I don't have the experience of you to have seen more guys come up and fail. But he does just his own. He's different. His yeah, he just seems like a different yeah. type of quarterback. And stepping into a team that I think could surprise a lot of people, especially with the, the offense that they've had. Like I said, like the names that people don't even realize. I mean, Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon, I think, could, has a case to be made for a top 10 running back in the league right now. That's true. So, there you go. Cincinnati Bengals. Making some noise. Making, some making, noise. making history, baby. Making hey, history. Hey, if we, if we sit here and they're 10 and 6 in the wild card game, I'm just going to sit back and yeah. drink my orange juice. Just pick a random drink. Pick a random drink. Oh, man. All right, Rogers. What you got, Rogers? Yeah, so I'm not I'm, – my hot take is not football. Dad, you, you mentioned optimistic Bengals fan. You know very well, every year I'm an optimic, optimistic Padres fan. <laughs> This should be good. Now, no, this is probably not where you think it's going. Okay. Um, and <laughs> there's, not, there's not much of a danger of this. But just as a fan perspective, let me clarify. But 
I do not want to win the World Series this year. Oh my gosh, stop it. Stop it. What You're I mean lying. Nobody, nobody who's no. a fan says that. I know, and that's where I, that's how I'm torn. And I am I've been a diehard die Padres fan for so long. This is what I mean by this. This is what I mean. What I don't mean is in in every game I'm going to be rooting for the Padres if we go to the to the to the playoffs. It's not like I'm going to be rooting for them to lose. I'm going to be rooting hard for them to uh, to to uh, to win every single game. Um, again, that's a big stretch. Us going to the playoffs this year. I think we're on the trajectory. But this is why. Two main reasons. First of all, so the, the Padres became a team in 69, have made the playoffs, uh, shoot, five times in, our, in, in uh, 50 years, five playoff appearances. Never won a World Series. We are the losingest team in the history of MLB currently. In win, yes, in win percentage, lowest win percentage. Which is sad. Is that bad that we're making up words from that? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so what? My 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 biggest uh, the two things are one. First of all, this is going to be a season with no fans, and so one, I would not want our first World Series. Oh boy. To be to be oh, in, in empty stadiums. Oh boy. No no victory parade. No, there's no celebration of it because it's playing. How you know? You said you said yourself your favorite the thing you miss most about sports is the fan reaction. Right. If we were to finally win a World Series and there's no one there to to celebrate, okay. Yes. Now the second thing is I don't want to have yes. Can, can I ask a question about the first reason? Because I thought that would be your first reason, because that's the, the thing that I immediately thought. But can I ask a question about it? Yeah. <laughs> is is that first reason predicated upon the assumption that one day the after this year the Padres will indeed win a World Series? I think I think we have a gr- good shot to win the World Series in the upcoming. I think we will win the World Series in the in the 2020s. So let me ask the same thing a, a different way. If you somehow knew, like if you could find this out and then have it erased from your memory so that you could experience life naturally, <laughs> um, if you found out the Padres wouldn't win the World Series subsequent to this year, would that change your opinion about them winning this year? In other words, if it were this or nothing, because here's what I'm hearing you say is, if it's this man, when they, when they finally do it, I want to just really experience it, and I don't want it to be this partial, hollow experience. But if you knew you'd never get the whole thing, would you take the partial well, thing? If I knew we were never going to win, of course, yes. But it's partly on I don't want our first World Series one to – that's thinking we have an upcoming team, and I think we're going to win within the next 10 years. The second reason being it's a it's a – 60 game season, mm-hmm. uh, you know, rules are changed. DH, what's going to happen? Who, if especially if it's a team like us where we're not supposed to win, if we win, the only thing we're going to hear is cheap victory. And I don't want our old only World Series victory yeah. to everyone, and even myself knowing, yeah, it was a 60 game season, we got helped by this thing, and, and then you know, different, different uh, players sitting out because of this. I don't, I don't want that. So I will be cheering for the Padres. It'll, it's a weird fan season. I will be rooting for uh, for the team to win, of course. And if we if we were to make the playoffs, I'd keep rooting for them. However, starting the season, I'd be like, my thought is, I don't want to win the World Series this year. You know, I don't want I don't want to have this no fans discounted World Series to be our only victory. 
Would, would you see, maybe a question for both of you, would you see whoever wins the World Series this year as sort of being a cheap, sort of an asterisk next to the victory? Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. And you where I'd say a little bit, if, if we were to win the World Series, I know my argument would be the playoffs are the same and we won the playoffs. Right. You know? But I do think it is the case that for a team, especially like us, that's not, not a team like the Dodgers or Yankees, if we were to get hot and, and win our, you know, and you know, make the make the playoffs and or a team to win the division in sixty games, where to a, a clearly team team that probably shouldn't have done it. I do think there's a, a little bit of an asterisk, but the playoffs yeah. are the same. I'm not saying you know if the Dodgers win, well, no, not the Dodgers. I will say there's no, an asterisk. Don't if, the do card, that. if the Cardinals, what, 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 if the Cardinals were to win, because I know as a biased fan, I'm going to say it's an asterisk. But if, like, the Cardinals were to win, I'd be like, yeah, that's fair. They won the playoffs. The playoffs the yes, sir, we're coming. <laughs> no, I know, I know that I'm just giving away the bias there. But, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit discounted. But, really, the playoffs are the same. So, whoever wins it has to win. Yeah. Well, and I can see, in a length of the season, like, I think of the NBA, I don't think there'd be any asterisks here because they played, what, 60 games and they're playing another eight. 65 games. 65. So, I mean, that's in the end, they'll almost have played the full season. Yeah. I, the only, maybe the only footnote would be unless a, a three really key players on the top contender, like let's say, uh, let's say the top three Lakers go down to COVID and whoever, whoever wins, you might put an asterisk next to that because, because you know, the, the major contender didn't have have players due to the, the the pandemic that we're facing but other than that it seems like it'd be totally legit yeah all right well oh, there we go a little bit of a biased take but i'll take it that's fine i'm biased too so we want to thank mr waymeyer for coming on the podcast uh it's been a pleasure to to talk to him we've already had josh on too we're going to have another special guest on next week, next week and yeah. more special guests to come as well uh so continue uh, sharing all of this. We're going to continue with the podcast, obviously, but I'll continue sharing all this, and we're going to move on now to Caleb's segment. This is Beyond the Numbers. Welcome to Beyond the Numbers, and today we're going to talk about a quarterback stat. And we've done a quarterback stat before, but uh, that was – we did QBR. Now we're going to a new stat, NL uh, – uh, yards for, sorry, yards for attempt, <laughs> yards per attempt. Not full. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so this stat uh, is a stat I'd say is a little underrated. Uh, we don't really, I don't think you hear a lot about yards per attempt just in general. Um, however, the reason I like yards per attempt is it, it gives a pretty, a pretty, uh, it combines a few quarterback stats um, together to give you kind of a bigger overall picture than if you just did yards. So, for example. Uh, well, it's kind of – it puts in your yards, but then also your completion percentage a little bit. You know, if a guy has a high completion percentage, lower completion percentage, that really will affect your yards per attempt. Um, and it also helps, you know, if a guy, if a guy only throws for 3,000 yards, you know, you might just say, oh, he's, you know, ranked way down on the yards list. Mm -hmm. But then you realize, oh, he only throws the ball, you know, 20 times – you know, so many times per game. Um, and so that can kind of help you get a better picture of quarterbacks when you just – a lot of guys see yards, you know. Oh, he threw for 5,000 yards. He also threw the ball way more than anyone else. So you can kind of see yards per attempt helps with that. Um, 
the so Ryan Tannehill in 2019 led the league with 9.6 yards per attempt, which is very good. He only had 2,700 pass yards approximately, which is not that much. He didn't start 16 games. I think he started 14 games. Um, but he passed just around 230 yards a game, which is not, you know, a whole lot. But, again, that's a run first team. Yeah. And so – Derrick Henry. Yeah, exactly. Pound, pound the rock. <laughs> and so his passer rating then is a lot – or, yeah, his passer rating a lot of times is going to correlate a lot to your yards per attempt. Um, and he had the highest passer rating in the league as well. However, one thing you have to keep in mind is the more run first the team is – the higher a quarterback's numbers are going to be boosted like that. So if a guy is throwing for 5,000 yards, you have to realize that the defense is going to be playing pass more. You know, when you have a guy like Derrick Henry and you're just giving him the ball, while he may lead the league in those categories, uh, you have to realize that the, the defense is going to be stacking the box all the time. They're going to be playing wrong. So there is that balance there. Um, but that's, that's, I think it's a good way to see just a quarterback's overall success passing the ball. How many yards do you get for every passing attempt? Now, one thing, just to take a step back, if you want to look at your overall team's passing ability, a better one, a better metric to use would be net yards passing per attempt. Because what this does is it takes into account sacks and adds that as a play. So if you want to compare, let's look, let's look at the Titans last year. They had – so that's how you can compare rushing and passing. They had five yards per attempt rushing, which is very good, and 7.1 net yards per attempt passing. So for every rush play they had, on average, they gained five yards. Every pass play they had, on average, they gained seven yards. So that's just kind of a helpful thing, you know. It, it's that you can see over 100 pass, pass plays, you know, they're going to be at 710 yards, 100 run, yard, uh, run plays, 500 yards. Hmm. You may bring up the question, why would you – why are they a run-first team then? You know, if you're passing two yards per play more, then that's the other thing is you have to think about the risks that come with passing. A lot more turnovers when you're throwing the ball than you're running. Also, a lot Especially of – if you can't play quarterback. Yeah. James <laughs> <laughs> 30 interceptions. Um, then the other side is just the fact of tiring out the defense. When you've got a guy like Derrick Henry, a lot of times your passing plays off the run. Um, and so their passing yards per attempt, uh, net yards even, will always be higher than rushing. But a lot of times that's built off the running game. And running is just more reliable and consistent. Passing's more like 0, 0, 0, 30, which can still come to that average of 10, you know, if you have a 30-yard pass and two incompletes. So that's kind of – that's how you think. Running is less but more consistent. Hmm. Passing is more, but it's going to be like more hit or miss and more turnovers. So that's just the way you can think. You compare net yards attempt for attempt passing, yards per carry rushing. That's how you can look at your team and see how they do. So I just thought that was kind of a helpful, helpful little tidbit and had analyzing uh, pass versus run and, and quarterbacks there. So, yeah. yeah, there you go. Too bad another guy like Derrick Henry won't come along in the way that he did. I mean, who knows? But Derrick Henry, there is nobody he's, like that man. He's, he's, he's a beast. Thank, thank you, Derrick Henry, once again, for being the Patriots. Let me just give my, give my shout out to Derrick Henry. Thank you. Or, or you could say, I don't know, maybe Brady beat himself by throwing oh, a game in. Who knows? Sex. I mean, that's a good point, too. You never know. We love that conversation. Brutal. We're going to move Brutal. on to our last segment today, Brutal. High Five. And we are finally, finally getting a power rankings for the present because we're talking about the NBA. It's starting a week and a half. It's about time to do High Five. We give our top five NBA teams heading into the Orlando bubble. Stay tuned.
Welcome everyone to our final segment, High Five. We're doing our top five NBA teams uh, right now, and yeah, we're we're excited for we're excited for the for basketball to be back. Baseball's it's coming back. back. It's back. It's all coming back. This is this is a big year. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. this is a very unique year in NBA. More unique than anything in sports, I would think. Probably I mean, have a season. How long is NBA? It's like four months or, yeah. you know, NBA's just been gone. And now we're coming back playing eight games, I think, and going right to playoffs. I've already given my thoughts on that. Yeah, this is new. So uh, so what I'm going to – I'm going to start us off with okay. my number five okay. uh, NBA team right now, and that is the Toronto Raptors. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, the Toronto Raptors huh. are – my number five team, and, you know, I thought, how would they do without Kawhi? Yeah, no, they lose Kawhi. But the Raptors have been showing up. They're 46 and 18, second in the Eastern Conference. And they've just been they've, – uh, they've just had a, a – uh, not necessarily one huge star like, like some of the other teams have, but uh, Kyle Lowry, Van Fleet, Siakam, uh, Serge Ibaka, some of these guys just kind of – Ball stepped into the role pretty well. I think they played really well as a team with Kawhi, even though he was their leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but they really – guys were stepping up when they needed to and hit big shots like Van Fleet. And so I, I think I, I was not sure where to put them. I think they're the number five team. They could have been a little bit higher. I think I was debating four or five. Higher? I, I think they, could have, they could, have, could have pushed for the number four team. Wow. Because of, I think they're a deep team. I think they're really a okay. deep team. And – you look, they've been – they're not like a home-only team. You look, they, they played really well on the road as well. Yeah. And you think that no one's going to have a home field advantage going into this bubble. Right. So, again, that's not a, that's not a huge – a huge uh, – I mean, I was, thing, I was definitely thinking about putting them in and deciding not to. I just think – They made, they the made loss, list? No, they did not make my list at all. Hmm. Uh, I think the loss of Kawhi is really going to – Hurt them. I mean, they're a great team. Like I think that they, I mean they're they're gonna be in this bubble and they're top two team in the East, like you said. So they're a good team. But yeah, I couldn't I couldn't put them in, especially because they're doing Eastern and Western Conference. Yeah, we'll touch on that a little bit more. Like the, there's far better teams in the Western Conference than our Eastern Conference. Yeah, for example, there's, there's real quick before you take that. There is an argument to be made there, and I yeah. I do think, you know, going into the playoffs, will they be? I I don't know how they're gonna do because they don't have that guy. They don't have right. that block. I just think as a team with their depth. And their chemistry. Yeah. Some of those guys haven't been together for a while. Yeah. You know, I, I, they make my top five. So. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there, there's a case to be made, but I mean, time will tell with, with this being a bubble too. It's, it's a lot different. But yeah. Number five for me, and this is, this is one of my favorite teams going to the bubble, but I had to put a number five because they're not better than everybody else. Number five is the Utah Jazz. Okay. Utah Jazz are a top five team right now in the bubble. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. What's been lost in all this, I think, too, is Mike Conley plays for the Utah Jazz. He played for the Grizzlies and was a great point guard for them. He's now with the Jazz, and he's a good complement to Donovan Mitchell. You got Joe Ingles come off the bench, who is my favorite player. He's from Australia. I love that man. He's so great. Um, and then you add in just other pieces they have come off the bench. You have Bogdan Boyanovich. Let me try that again. Bogdan Boyanovich. Um, it still said it wrong. But he, he's a great shooter for them as well. Um, and so the Utah Jazz are, are just a great all-around team. They're going to push in the Western Conference. There's some great, great, great Western Conference teams they're going to have to play against in the, in the unique playoffs that we're in. But they are a great team. Rudy Gobert was the one that started all this pretty much with testing positive for the coronavirus. He's put that behind him, and they're moving forward uh, to, to try to push for a championship. 
I'd really love to see Utah Jazz, especially as a Warriors fan, not having a team in it really this year. I'd love to see Utah Jazz make a push into the Western Conference Finals and, and push uh, another team that I'll mention later. But, I mean, Utah Jazz, I think, are a top-five team right now. Maybe the bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's the relationship right now with uh, Gobert and Mitchell? Gobert and Mitchell, yeah. there some stuff going on? There, there, was, there was some How's tension going on. They, they, put it, they put it all behind them. I mean, it's, when it's your business, when it's your job, when you're making money playing basketball – you put it behind you. Now, we've already touched on from a biblical worldview how those things can get skewed and torn. So I wouldn't have to believe that they have not reconciled it the right way, obviously, and both being unbelievers. But from a business standpoint, you need to to be with your coworkers, so to speak, your teammates, and, and push forward in a way that you can be successful. And yeah. I think that they are a successful team when you have a guy yeah. like Tom and Mitchell. And they're just so talented. You know, they're very talented. I think they'll – They'll work it out. It's not. I don't think that it'll, they'll let them. Yeah. They'll let that affect their right. Their uh, their chances. So. All right. Yeah. My number four team is the Celtics. The Boston okay. Celtics. Yeah. Um. You want to talk another team that maybe doesn't quite have the superstar like other teams do. Jason Tatum's coming. I, I Jason Tatum up, is coming. He's he's yeah, coming. Only twenty one. They're young. They've uh they've got yeah Jason Tatum. Uh, Gordon Hayward again. I think Kemba Walker is a really good fit. Mm -hmm. um, they just, again, a similar argument as the Raptors, but even more so. I think they just have that team chemistry. A lot of those guys have been together for a little while. Um, Kemba Walker knew, but he's fitting in, and they just they know how to play. Brad Stevens is a great coach. Great coach. Um, they could make some noise in the playoffs. You know, I don't I don't know exactly. I don't know what they'll do, but I I think they're my number four team. So. Okay. Let's just move on to number three. I got Celtics at number four, too. Yeah, so, Jason Tatum is coming, guys. He's, he's, he's up there right now. I think he's a top ten player, maybe even top five player in the league right now. Jason Tatum, he's, he's a stud. So, yeah, I, I got nothing, nothing to add to that. So Yeah, oh, that's back to me. That's back to you. Yeah, my number three. My number three team is the L.A. Clippers. Clippers, okay. And so, yeah, the, I mean, Kawhi, Paul George, they've got, they've got the defense, you know, I think, think of, uh, they could, they could win, the, they could win it all this year for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and so, Patrick Beverly. yeah, Patrick Beverly, they've sure. got those, the stud defenders. I think they're going to, they can score on the offensive end, but more than anything, they've got those defenders, which mm -hmm. can be big. I think they have the, the durability to just to fight in the playoffs. You know, when playoff comes, is different than regular season. Yeah. And I think they have the type of team that's built yeah. for the playoffs. You know, Kawhi has just had that success. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. Still <laughs> Unfortunately for that. you. I hate you, Kawhi. So, yeah, I mean, they're my number three team, uh, but I could definitely see them winning it all this year. Let's just keep rolling. Number three, LA Clippers. Say, they're, they're, they're a great team. They're not better than the top two teams that I'm assuming we both have. But uh -huh. – the Clippers are a great team, great all around. I mean, Kawhi and Paul George, like, a lot of people forget that, that those are two superstars on the same team. And They're going to be great. Specifically, they could get the Lakers problems because Paul George and Kawhi are historically great one-on-one -on -one defenders and guys that can match up with yeah. LeBron. I mean, so, not wrong, but we'll see. Well, yeah, we'll see. And that leads me to my number two team, which is the other L.A. team, the Lakers. Ooh, They're my number okay. two team. They did not make my number one. Okay. I, I – I mean, they could be my number one. I could see them winning it all very easily. Um, but you don't. They're, well, they're not. They're not my number. Yeah, they're they're not <laughs> as a team. They're not my number one. LeBron James, Anthony Davis. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all I have to say. I yeah. mean, <laughs> that's a force, right? It's there. a it's a great great tandem. Uh, great enough even to be number one, which which they are for me. They uh, are. Yeah, and the Bucks are number two for me. Okay. The Milwaukee Bucks are number two. Uh, I think that will be the NBA Finals this year, the Bucks and the Lakers. Yep. But the Bucks Finals. That that's going to be a great Finals. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. And I have to look at the roster again just to be reminded of how great they are. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Antetokounmpo. Hakuna Matata. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Eric Bledsoe, who's their, who's kind of their place for point guard. Wesley Matthews, who was a sharpshooter for the Mavericks, and they got to the Bucks somehow. Robin Lopez. And then they added another shooter, um, who I'm who I'm m- missing right now. Do you have a hold up, Kyle Korver? Kyle Korver. They added Kyle Korver. Like if it's if it, yeah. if that's not like enough of a force, like you didn't mention Chris Middleton and Chris Middleton. Like, like just to throw that in. there are so many players that that are good, but they are not better than the Lakers, in my opinion. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, already said enough. Said Alex Caruso, the dude can ball. The dude can ball. He's like. The, for a white guy, he's got bats. Like, That's let's just true. be honest. He can he can get up. Like, it's crazy. I love watching him. Again, not having a, a, a horse. Looks like he's 35. Like, like, he's got the balding hair and stuff. It's like, I, I don't know I what's going it. on with him. It's like, it's 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 awesome. Um, but not having a horse in the race, I would love to see the Lakers win again. I don't have a problem with LeBron now that he's left the Cavaliers. Kind of like, put it behind you. I already mentioned Akuna Matata. Put the path behind you. Um, but... Uh, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, would love to see them win a ring. Anthony Davis is not one, has, doesn't have a ring yet. It'd be great to see that happen. So, I mean, there's lots of different stuff that, that can happen with that. But Man, they're not your number one. You the they're, they're not. But, again, it's it's right here. You know, like, I'm, I'm not yeah. mad at you coming number one. You have them in the finals as well? Then? Oh, yeah. Okay. Then that's that, if it happens, would be a fantastic one. So, right now, and I was I was asking some other friends uh, who who I, I know about this, right now, who, who would you have winning? Today. Now, it's subject to change, obviously, depending on, like, how right they now. adjust the bubble. Who do you have winning Lakers-Bucks? Uh, I'd say Lakers. Lakers. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like, it's, yeah. it, we'd have to see how Giannis does in the playoffs. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of it. That's true. Because yeah, he shut of, him down. Kawhi Leonard shut him down last year. Yeah. But then, you know, the Lakers don't have Kawhi. True. They don't have LeBron and Anthony Davis. Yeah. And Alex Caruso, who's, who's a dog on defense. So, I would have the Lakers winning. Uh, I think it could go seven. I think the Lakers will will finish it in six. LeBron finally having Anthony Davis. I mean, Kyrie Irving was good when they when they won with the Cavs. Again, still not over it. Uh, but when you have someone like Anthony Davis, it's a whole other animal. And I think that they can they can finish that off in six. So I would have the Lakers winning right now. Obviously, there's a lot of different stuff that could happen. Utah Jazz can make it make a move and, and come up, right? I mean, you never who knows? Know. You never it's, know. It's so. everything's gonna be different. It's bubble basketball. Yeah. We don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know what's gonna happen, but we do know that sports are back. And you and I are both ecstatic for that. So much so that next week, we're going to be talking about more current sports coming back. We're getting our top five MLB teams heading into the season. And we'll do it with a special guest. We won't say who it is yet, but we're going to continue to have people on. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in for another episode. First one, we're in the same location. May not be the last one, depending on how everything else shakes out. But uh, we are excited to continue putting out this podcast. we got some more content dropping. We're both in the same place. So we've been doing some wiffle ball, basketball. There's lots of different fun videos, live reactions to things, Jordan-LeBron debate, uncut. I mean, we got tons of stuff coming for you guys. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Uh, so continue to uh, give us some more stuff to react to, more stuff to comment on and give our thoughts on, uh, whether it be sports and scripture, whether it be a top five list, 
whether it be a bad one be article or just different things like that. We love reacting to those things. Uh, make sure to like, comment, subscribe to YouTube channel. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor for the podcast. You can listen or watch it. And then we're going to continue putting out content. So there's so much stuff happening. We're thankful to be a part of it. Thankful to the Lord to, to do it. So thanks for tuning in to another episode. I'm Caldwell. I'm Caleb. We'll talk to you guys later. God bless.